Father, we thank you for another time that we have to come and study your word. We're so grateful to be able to always open your word in this time to study. Lord, may you please speak to our hearts. Please guide us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to understand your word, that we might know how to apply it to our lives and that your grace might be applied to our lives this day as well. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome back, everybody. We are continuing our study in the wilderness wanderings. We're still in this series where the Israelites are just going round and round in the desert. And today we're going to be studying still one such instance of them still in the wilderness. And the title of our study this evening is Fiery Serpents. And we just studied in the last lesson about the children of Israel complaining about food and water. Yes, they had run out of water, and Moses, instead of speaking to the rock, he struck it twice. And as a result, he was given a swift judgment. He would not be the one that would lead the children of Israel into Canaan. And so now as they move forward, they're about to pass through the land of Edom. And we start here in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 through 17. And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, we heard, he heard our voice and sent an angel and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left, until we have passed thy borders. And so remember that we studied this last week, that God had promised that they will be able to go through this land unmolested and that they could buy food and water from them. However, the situation had changed. In Deuteronomy 2, 6, God said, you shall buy meat of them for money you may eat. You may also buy water for them for money that you may drink. But because of their unbelief and delay, Something had changed in this situation. The circumstances had changed because of their complaining previously. Now we continue in Numbers chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway. And if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore Israel turned away from him. The Edomites were not allowing them to pass through their land. They were not allowing them to buy food or water from them at all. So they had to go in another path, in another direction, around their country, because the Edomites had all come out with the armies ready to attack if they did not listen to them. 
the circumstances changed because of the Israelites complaining. Often, God has to adjust with our actions, our disobedience. We don't realize that many times we we shortchange God's grace and the blessings He desires to give us because at the first time, we did not believe. And we see this throughout Scripture so often, God always adjusting and readjusting and readjusting again because of the disobedience of God's people. But anyways, they turn away, and as they journey around Edom, another significant event takes place. Let's keep reading, shall we? Numbers 20, verses 24 to 29. Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, for he shall not enter into the land which I have given unto the children of Israel, because ye rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son, bring them up to, um, unto Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments, and put them on Eleazar his son. And Aaron shall be gathered unto his people, and shall die there. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up into Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there in the top of the mount. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mount. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron thirty days, even all the house of Israel. This significant event was the passing away of Aaron, who was basically second in command, the right-hand man of Moses. He was together in that in that act of of passion that they committed when Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it. And because of this, not only Moses, but Aaron would not be allowed to enter into Canaan and lead the children in. It was not because he died of old age. No, it was because of that sin. And so Aaron was stripped of his garments. His son would take the mantle of the high priest and the Israelites would be deprived of a leader of whom it was he had led for so long along the side of Moses. You know, Aaron, he had been by the side of his brother from the very beginning when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was he that gathered the elders and, and his influence was the one that, that showed them as Moses performed the miracle that as Aaron stood on his side, the other leaders of Israel had the confidence to trust in Moses as well. Aaron had been Moses' constant help and support. And though the children of Israel many times had complained and, and rebelled against Moses and blamed him for so many things, Aaron had always stood by his side. And so even though there was a keen loss to the children of Israel, the one who really felt it the most, it was Moses. And so it was a reminder also that even to Moses, his death was soon to come as well. The judgment of God that had been pronounced upon him and upon Aaron now was coming to fruition. And so even Moses could see the end of his days coming as well. But let's continue, shall we? Numbers chapter 21 now and verses 1 to 3. And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. 
And Israel vowed a vow unto the Lord and said, If thou wilt indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy the cities. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And so soon after the death of Aaron, the Canaanites would come and attack the children of Israel and take some of them prisoners. But as they turned to God and asked for help, God would answer and give them the victory. However, so soon after that, after God having given them the victory, something else takes place to make them quickly forget about God and just that deliverance that he provided for them in these verses. Let's keep reading. Numbers 24, 21, verses 4 and 5. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, to go around it. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no light, for there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. What happens? You see, we see at the beginning there that they got went all the way back to the Red Sea. They had just been going around and round in the wilderness, and it got to this point where they got all the way back to the Red Sea, and it was probably a reminder to some of them, oh, we miss Egypt once again. And because they could not pass through the land of Edom, obviously the way that they were going around was longer, probably less traveled, and so the roads were more difficult for everybody. And so they began to complain again. They began to do the same thing that they had been doing every single time. They never learned their lesson. They are complaining about food and water again. And notice, First, they say that there is no bread. Yet at the very end, it says that their soul despises the light bread of manna that God had been raining down upon them every single day. They were contradicting themselves within that same verse. It already showed that their complaining was unjust. It just already showed that their complaining had no grounds. This was just simple, outright murmuring and complaining. And you know what? The accusation is always the same. They're accusing Moses of bringing them out of Egypt to kill them in the wilderness every single time. And this time, Moses has to face it alone. Aaron is not there with him anymore. The burden must have been even heavier. But this time, God takes this situation into his own hands. Look at this. Numbers 21 and verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Immediately, the Lord brings swift justice, swift punishment. He sends fiery serpents to go out and bite them. And it's not so much that God sent the fiery serpents, but that he withdrew his protecting care from them. And this bite must have been so deadly, so venomous, so painful that many people died. And look, God did not send them. Let me show you. We read in another text in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 15. Look at this. 
who led thee through the great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint. You see, God led them through the wilderness, and in this wilderness, there were all sorts of danger. There was no water, yes, there was no food, but there were also scorpions and fiery serpents. So God had been protecting them all this while. God had been the one that was taking care of them and protecting them from all these dangers and this harm. They were unaware of this fact, and so they were ungrateful. And as they began to complain, God removed his protecting care from them, and as a result, the fiery serpents came out and bit them. If it was not for God, the Israelites would all have perished in the wilderness because of all these dangers of scorpions and snakes. You know, friends, many times we don't realize how much God has watched over us, how his angels work over time to be with us and to protect us. Many times we are unaware and as a result, ungrateful of the fact of what God does for each and every one of us, keeping us safe on the road keeping us safe as we walk along on the sidewalks. You know, any number of things can happen. I've seen videos where cars come crashing through a store or where a father saves their children just in time and pulls them out of harm's danger on the sidewalk because a a car or a bike comes screeching along, right? We are so unaware of so much protection that God gives us that when the protecting care is taken away, it is only then that we realize. But it's in stories like this that we study that it should be a reminder of how much God really loves us and how much he really protects us and watches over us. Friends, we must ever be grateful of how God loves us so much to protect us and he doesn't even tell us. He doesn't go, hey, Ben, you know, if you had gone here today, this would have happened. He doesn't say that. He just protects us from a thousand dangers, a thousand evils of which many of us are unaware. Friends, we ought to stop and pause every day to think about the blessings that God has given us. Let us never be unmindful of the fact of how much God watches over us every single moment of every single day. And so God, he removes that protecting care. And immediately, the fiery serpents come out and they begin to bite and hurt and kill the children of Israel. And all of a sudden, because of that, they realize their murmurings of the past situation of food and water is small in comparison to what they're facing now. Quickly, they all turn to Moses. They're humbled already the one whom they're accusing to say, you brought us out here to kill us all with hunger and with thirst. They turn to him and they ask him for help. Look at this. Numbers 21 verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. You know, this is so amazing. They ask Moses for help. Just a breath ago, they were accusing him. You know, if I was in Moses' shoes, having gone through this for 40 years, I would have been so fed up. 
You know, I, I guess he did lose it because in the last study when he was going to speak to the rock, he, he struck it instead. He was human after all. But the patience that he was, he was trying to have for these children of Israel, it wore out at some point. But here, once again, God has given him that patience to bear the trial. And so when they come to him and ask Moses, please pray for us, help us, pray to God that he would take away the serpents, Moses begins to pray. Even though they've constantly murmured against him, even though they, they, they keep blaming him for all these things, his love for them is greater than any offense they have done against him. And you know, friends, this is where we really see the importance of Moses being in the wilderness before this, taking care of sheep. Before God called him, he was in the wilderness taking care of sheep as a shepherd for 40 years. He was just taking care of the animals. He learned to be patient with these, quote-unquote, dumb animals that just kept wandering off, to, that, that kept getting themselves into trouble. No matter how much training you can give to a sheep, sometimes they just don't get it, right? And so, you know, the, the lessons that God was trying to teach Moses of humility and patience and loving, tender care in those 40 years, it translated over to his care for the children of Israel. To have a loving watch care over this flock who constantly makes mistakes and rebels against him and and accuses him. It was the training that, that he had in the 40 years with the sheep that helped him to get through it, mostly, mostly, to get through without reacting and having enough, being fed up with the children of Israel. And you know, for those 40 years, it seemed like the life of Moses was going nowhere. He was just taking care of sheep. That was it. And you know, friends, sometimes we wonder why our lives don't seem to be moving forward and advancing. We worry about our careers or our studies. We, we worry about maybe even our parents and friends worry that our, our lives don't seem to be going anywhere at least not according to the worldly standard or compared to our friends or our classmates. But you know, maybe God is preparing us for something different. Maybe he's training us in the wilderness. He's getting us ready for a greater work, which cannot be done by worldly methods, that cannot be done by worldly education or obtaining a degree, but can only be successful only as we have the character of Christ in our hearts and a firm reliance on his word and prayer. That was a training that Moses had. That was a training that all he had, taking care of sheep to lead a nation. Do you see that? And this was the most important lessons that Moses had to learn in the wilderness. Not human wisdom or eloquence, not management or project management, not any of those things that he could have learned in Egypt. All those things that he had, He had to unlearn because he had to learn to not depend upon himself but fully on God. But learning, making sure that his trust was fully on Christ and that the patience that only God could give, he was learning in the wilderness, taking care of sheep. And so don't be discouraged. If you think your life is not getting anywhere at this point, God, if you are faithful, God is preparing you for something great to fulfill in his work a place which only you can fill in these last days. And so, you know, when the children of Israel, they cry out to Moses, and and Moses, he, he willingly cries out to God, instead of taking away the snakes, look at what God asks Moses to do. 
Let's keep reading now in Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And so what did God instruct Moses to do? Make a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and anyone who looks at that brass serpent, the very same serpent that was biting them, all they had to do was look and live. So <clears throat> seemed like something so simple. Yet there were so many in that day that would not look at that serpent that Moses had made. It seemed too absurd to them, something too simple. Surely they could not be healed from venom by just looking at another snake on a pole. I mean, all they had to do was look and live. If you had just, even in doubt, you looked up and looked, it means that you had some measure of faith, right? But they did not even want to look. There were some that would die with this venom in their blood, and they refusing to even just try to look. You didn't have to fully believe. All you had to do is give it a shot, give it a try. There was no harm in trying. There was nothing to lose in turning your head to just look at that serpent that Moses had made, right? And if you had done that, you would have been healed. But here's the question that we must ask ourselves. Why did God instruct Moses to make a serpent? The very same thing that was killing them was fashioned and carved out or whatever it was and put on a pole and made to be their healing remedy. What did this snake represent? Let's go over to John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Bible says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the, must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus here, and he himself references the very story that we're studying today, and he says, that represents me. The Son of Man must be lifted up. The snake represented Jesus. Yes, I know what you're thinking. Many of us, we believe and we know in the Bible that the snake also represents the devil, and you're not wrong with that. Let me show you the text. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So yes, it does represent the devil, the serpent, and what he has done is, he's that serpent that's on the ground, right? He stung us. He's the one that bit us and wants to kill us and destroy us. The wages of sin is death, right? That, that really is a serpent. But those are the serpents that are on the ground trying to kill the children of Israel. But why and how can this serpent on a pole, the brass serpent, represent Jesus? Many of us, we, we get confused by this. It's like, are you serious? The, the snake is Jesus? Yes, it is. But why? Why is Jesus fashioned into the snake, similar picture to that of the devil? Well, let me show you. 
in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. The Bible tells us this. But made himself, Jesus, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, servant, pardon me, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Of the cross. So when Jesus came to this earth, he came as a human. He came to taste death for everybody. He came to pay the penalty of sin. He became sin for us. Let's keep reading. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Do you see that? Jesus, he became a curse for us. He came in the form of humanity to save us from the sting of death and sin. And that's why the saving instrument was the same as that which bit them. That's why Christ is represented as the serpent. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 17, the Bible also says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself, Jesus himself, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So Christ, he became just like us. He came to suffer the penalty of sin. He came to take the serpent's bite. He came to die for you and for me. Why? Because of love. But you know, all God asks us to do today, and yes, there's a part for us to play, friends, is to look. All we have to do is look. If we want to be healed, all the Israelites had to do was to look at that brazen serpent. All they had to do was turn their heads and look at it. No one could force them to look. They themselves had to make a choice in their minds and and look for themselves. And in the same way, friends, there is still something for us to do for our own salvation. Look, don't misunderstand me. Jesus is the only one that can save us. We are saved totally by grace and grace alone, but there's still a part for us to play. We have to exercise faith. We are saved by grace through faith. The, the, the point that we have to have is believe. In the case of the Israelites, they had to believe the word of Moses. God told me, you have to look at this serpent. If you look at it, you will live. And you know, the funny thing is, there were probably people that were all around, strewn around the whole camp, and Moses was walking around making sure everybody had an opportunity to look. But the ones that looked, they would live. They were healed in that instance. They would feel the sting of death gone from their bodies. They would probably get up or sit up, and their groanings and their moanings and their cryings would be gone. And people around them would have testimonies of looking at them. It's like, they were healed. But there were some that still would not look. Isn't that the amazing thing? There were people that were being healed. There were testimonies of it. There were people that saw others being healed, but yet they themselves refused to look. And that's the amazing thing. We have to still exercise our faith. We still got to believe in the word of Moses. We still got to believe in the word of God. Let's go to that famous Bible text in John 3, 16. Look at what Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? 
that whosoever believeth. That's our part. We have to believe. We have to exercise faith. Whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Friends, there is a part for us to play in our own salvation. Jesus will not and cannot save us against our own will. We have to decide. We have to make the choice. We got to believe. Let's look at another text. Look at this. John 6, 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Friends, we got to be willing to go to Jesus. We got to be willing to come to him. And yes, that's our part to play. Look at this, Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We must come. Do you see that, friends? The the parable of the prodigal son when he was sitting in the pigsty, ready to eat the pig's food, he came to his senses. He's like, my my father's servants have, have all this better food back at home there, and here I am. Here I am sitting here about to eat pig's food. Look what he says to himself in Luke 15, verse 17 to 18. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. Do you see that? The prodigal son came to his senses and he told himself, I am going to arise and go to my father. On the way back, he was still covered in pig smell, pig's food and pig's, you know, excrements. He smelt like a pig. He was not clean. He was not saved. Only his father could give him the robe and new shoes and all this change of garments. Only his father could save him, but his part was to get up and go to his father. Now, can you imagine being back at his father's house and he's sitting there in his father's house again, not as a servant, but as a son? Can you imagine him getting up and saying, hmm, I saved myself. I deserve this because I got up and went to my father. No, of course not. Even though he played his part because the father didn't know where he was going. And even if he did find him, he couldn't force him to come back. We have to make that choice to arise and go to our father. We've got to be willing to make that choice and say, I am going to go back. I will believe. I will look and live. Yes, friends, there's a part for us to play. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot work our way to heaven. The sufficiency is all found in Christ, but there is still a part for us to play. You see, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says very clearly, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. However, we must be willing. We must be willing to go to him, willing to believe, willing to arise, willing to look and live. But here's the practical question that we have to ask ourselves today. How can we look and live? How do we come to Jesus and and behold him today? Well, Let's look at a few texts, shall we? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, a common text that we're familiar with. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things 
shall be added unto you. We have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But how do we do that? Let's go to another text found in John chapter 5, verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. It's seeking Christ in his word. That's how we can behold him today. We must have an interaction with the word of God on a daily basis. How can we have that interaction with God's word on a daily basis? Well, there are several ways. It's not just simply reading. If you're not a reader, there are other ways. But I'm telling you, it would all cost you time. That's the main thing. Let me show you. First, Psalms chapter 1, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So we got to learn to meditate on the law of God, the word of God. The law of God was first spoken. It is God's word. We've got to learn to meditate on it. We've got to think about it. We've got to, as you read the Bible, it's not enough just to read it, but you've got to get something out of it, something that will speak to your heart and make you think, hey, God, I really have to change in this area. I really got to be different here. Something that strikes your heart and says, wow, I didn't know that. As you spend time in God's word, he will speak to you. But he wants you to meditate on it. Think about it throughout the whole day. Keep it in your heart. If you did, you would be saved because Jesus would be abiding in your heart and he'll be living in and through you. But what else can we do? Maybe if you say, I'm not a reader. I'm not a reader. What else can you do? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith, it begins with hearing and listening to the word of God, listening to an audio Bible, listening to sermons that are preached. We can grow in faith by spending time listening to God's word. But I'm telling you, all these things take time. What else? Psalms 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. What does that mean? We got to commit scripture to memory. We got to hide it in our hearts, in our minds that we don't forget. We got to learn to memorize the Bible. So maybe you don't have time to read a whole chapter. It's okay. Memorize one verse. Sit there long enough for you to memorize it. Don't read one verse. I'm saying memorize it and keep repeating it. Maybe you're driving in the car, maybe you're on the train. Just repeat it to yourself over and over and over and over again. But you see, all these things take time. And if you can commit scripture to memory, I'm telling you, God will begin to change your heart and life in a mighty and amazing way. But let me give you one more suggestion. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You got to listen to good, wholesome music. Music that reminds you of scripture, especially scripture songs. If you're listening from YouTube, you will find on my channel there that I have a whole playlist, mostly sung by Sabrina. Uh, I think all of it actually, but she has other singers that join here and there that you can listen to for free. Listen to scripture songs. You can find on Spotify for free. You know, it's not for paid, uh, anything paid. 
Just listen to it, friends. I, I created these scripture songs because, you know, we, we have been singing scripture songs in our churches for a long time already, and it's just a staple in our churches if you come worship with us. But people outside begin to ask, hey, can I record you? How, how do you sing this? And so I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't want you to record me. I'm not a singer. I'll get someone else to record and I'll, I'll post it up and you can listen to it, you know. And so that's what I've been doing for the past few years. And I praise God that the scripture songs are helping so many people in a fight against sin and temptation, in spiritual warfare. Friends, this is all available for you. And you can even listen to it on my website there, adventproductions.com. I have the whole playlist out there as well. So, you know, what we have to do though, we got to surround ourselves with a reminder of God's word and his constant presence. We got to be careful to never lose sight of Christ and his goodness, no matter where we go throughout the day. Only as we focus on him, then the world becomes more apparent that it's easier for us to complain about his guidance and goodness if we lose sight of him. But if we would focus on him, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. And God will begin to change our characters. But God will begin to change our hearts and lives. He'll begin to change how we respond to certain situations and disappointments when things don't go our way. But as we focus on the world, we quickly forget about God's goodness, about his providence, and we begin to murmur and to complain. And you know, friends, having taught the Bible for so long, one of the greatest hindrances is not because we don't have time. We have time. But the challenges of our faith today is not that we are committing sin, but we, we are looking at our social media more. And, you know, we, you, know, you, know, you might not be looking at bad things on the social media, but it eats up your time, time that could be spent in the Word of God, time that could be spent treasuring up the rich treasures of His Word. If we would take the time, God's Word would be effective. It will not return void. It will accomplish what it pleases. There's power in the Word. The problem is not the power of the Word. The problem is with us, whether we're willing to spend the time. So let's not be like the children of Israel. Keep repeating the same sins and mistakes of the past, especially for us living in a day where the light is shining so bright and the scriptures are guiding us so clearly. The lessons are there. Yes, there is a work for us to do, friends. There's something for us to do if we wish to build our faith, if we wish to be overcomers, if we wish to stop complaining and murmuring. There's a part for us to do. We've got to spend time in this Word. We've got to read. We've got to look. We've got to look at Jesus. We've got to look at His Word. And then He will give us life. We've got to make that effort today. We must take time aside and fill our hearts and minds with His Word. God desires to write it there. But we must be willing for him to write it there. You see that? The more time we spend in scriptures, I know that we will find 10,000 gems hidden below the surface. The more we search, the greater will be our thirst and interest. Every day we can learn something new from the scriptures if we would search for them as if we searched for hidden treasure. As much as we worked on our professional lives or our studies, if we would give the same amount of effort and concentration to the word, I'm telling you, we would be like Daniel. We would be like Noah. We would be like Abraham. God would transform us into his image. 
And so today I want to remind you, friends, let's set our eyes on eternal things. Let's set our eyes on His Scriptures and not the things of this world. Let's give greater time to His Word and we'll find that our meager efforts will be repaid with eternal life and the blessings of heaven many times over. But today, we have to look and live. May God help us to put aside the temptations and the busyness and all the things that just creep into our hearts and lives and take us away from Christ. we got to spend more time, more time with Him, more of Jesus and less of this world. Is that your desire? Then let me pray for you today. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you so much for giving us this reminder Lord, you love us so much. You desire to spend time with us. But we're just so focused on so many other different things. Lord, please help us. Help us to have the strength to turn away from temptation and from sin. Help us, Lord, that we might turn our eyes and cast it upon Jesus and upon your word. That you would give us joy of heaven, the peace of heaven, the blessings of heaven that come through a study of your word. Help us, Lord, to find victory in Jesus. And may that bring us joy as well as we see our lives changing and we're not reacting to to evil and wickedness and murmuring, complaining constantly, but we're able to ride above that. Lord, please, be with each of us today. Help us to make room. Help us to make an appointment with you, Lord. Help us to give you more of our time and less to the world. Lord, strengthen us. Baptize us with your Holy Spirit, we pray again. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.